You're listening to the RSA Conference podcast, where the world talks security. Hi there, this is Britta Glade, Director of Content and Curation with RSA Conference, and I'm super happy today to welcome Lance Spitzner, who's also a director at SANS Securing the Human, to our virtual podcast couch to discuss a topic that's on all of our minds, um, the Equifax hack. Lance, welcome. Hey, Britta, thanks so much. Well, we humans definitely need securing, Lance. I don't think you're ever going to be out of business. Um, (laughs) Yeah, this is one of those security stories that just because of the sheer number of people potentially impacted has quickly stretched way outside of just our industry. And it's triggered a lot of confusing information. Um, for, for myself as well, you know, on a personal level, I wanted to educate myself. I've tried to take the proper steps to, um, to make sure everything's okay in my world, in the world of my family. Um, so I decided to invite you along the journey. So together we can kind of try to cut through the noise and focus on key steps and facts for ourselves and for our workforce. Um, so can you explain for me, knowing that a lot of information continues to be emerging daily? The facts of what really happened. What what do we know? Well, first of all, Britta, you nailed a great point. Let's just stick to the facts because what's going to end up happening is there are going to be a lot of opinions and guessing over the coming weeks. So strictly from a facts perspective, on 7 September, Equifax announced that they were hacked and they believe they were hacked between mid-May and July of 2017. Though just recently, in the past 24 hours, it looks like that may have been even earlier as of March. And they say they actually discovered it on 29 July. As we understand it, over 143 million records were compromised, primarily U.S. citizens, but it looks like there may have been some additional information for Canadian and U.K. individuals also. In addition to the social security numbers, addresses, birth dates, and names that were believed to be compromised, also in some cases, driver license numbers and credit cards were also believed to have been stolen. That's pretty much from a fact perspective. The only other thing we do know is the Mandiant team from FireEye is helping with the incident response. Okay, that's good. Yeah. As we know, in any breach situation, information comes out. And then when there's lack of information, different people jump in with guesstimates of what's happened. So that, that, that's super helpful to lay out that timeline. Um, so I personally, and I'm assuming most of our listeners as well, I've received a massive number of emails to my personal accounts, what I should do, what I shouldn't do, from, you know, anywhere from banks to credit bureaus to everyone else. Um, I've paid for a freeze with one bureau. But in two other cases, I was forced to mail in documentation because the request for either my freeze or even the basic fraud alert couldn't be completed online. Um, And it's a pain. Um, In layman's term, what are credit bureaus and how do they work? All right. So there's three main credit bureaus that we're actually going to be recommending you deal with four of them. And ultimately, a credit bureau is a data harvesting agency. They harvest your information, my information, and just about every adult citizen's information in the United States. And their business model is rather simple. They harvest as much information as possible as they can about every adult citizen and then slice, dice, and analyze that information and then sell it to other companies and organizations. You really have no say in what's collected, how it's analyzed, 
or how it's sold to others. The credit freeze, and what this is all about, is one of the services they offer is a credit rating. In other words, from a financial perspective, they give you a reputation rating. Can you be trusted to pay your bills or not trusted to pay your bills? In simple terms. So what happens is when you go to apply for a new credit card, or say a bank loan, car loan, any type of loan, before you get that loan, the bank, the credit card company, reaches out to one of the uh, credit bureaus and says, hey, is Lance Spitzner trustworthy? And then they get a copy of my credit rating. Yes, he is, or no, he's not. So what ends up happening is these credit card companies and banks depend on the credit bureaus to determine what your trust is, but the credit bureaus treat this as a revenue model, as a business, because they can make up to a dollar every time one of these companies is checking your credit rating. Got it. Got it. So that's why I'm being put through these hoops. <laughs> um, but this is my information. Why are they making it so hard to protect myself and my family? Well, economics, and Bruce Schneiders is a great one on this. There, there's not a lot of economic motivator for them to do so much from the security perspective. One of the fundamental laws of securing data is the easiest data to secure is the data you don't collect. So what ends up happening is the more data you collect and the more sensitive that data is, the greater your responsibility is to protect that data. However, or credit bureaus like an Equifax and stuff traditionally have not had strong motivation, economic motivators to truly secure that data until something like this happened. Sure. Okay, so I, I want to go back to actually, um, you mentioned there's four sources you'd recommend I do lockdown with. I, I was only ever looking at three credit bureaus. Um, what are the four you would recommend? that we reach out to, what are the steps that I should be taking to protect myself, protect my family members? Sure, absolutely. So the big three are well known, Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion. There is a fourth, yep, a fourth called Innovis. And I know of this one because of the great research that Brian Krebs has done. So I always recommend, um, per Brian Krebs' recommendation, you want to do the four credit bureaus, not the three. Um, the first thing, really recommend you do not do is go to the Equifax website and say, enter your information to say, gee, was I compromised? Was my data hacked or was my data not hacked? It, that, that's worthless. We need to assume that your data is hacked, both you and I. Re Equifax may have bad data. They may have, made, may have made a mistake. They may be giving bad information. For all we know, perhaps one of the other credit bureaus has been hacked and they simply don't know it yet. So what I would do is absolutely take certain steps to protect your information regardless if you believe your data has been compromised or not. And the key ones that involve the credit bureaus is both credit monitoring and a credit freeze or commonly called a security freeze. And if you like, I can just briefly describe what those are and the differences. Please. Okay, so credit monitoring has always been the traditional service. Whenever a company's been hacked and your information has been compromised, they've always said, we'll give you credit monitoring to protect you, which is rather odd because, to be honest, credit monitoring does nothing to protect you. Credit monitoring is not prevention. It's detection. 
What credit monitoring does is it monitors your credit ratings and your uh, data with the credit bureaus. And basically what credit monitoring does is it lets you know if somebody has applied for a credit card in your name or for a bank loan in your name. And you get emails, updates going, hey, did you apply for this loan? Then if you say, well, I know I haven't, then you have to react and respond to the incident, just like if you've been hacked. So credit monitoring does nothing to protect you from credit fraud. It just lets you know when somebody's attempting to get a credit card, bank loan, or commit fraud in your name. So it's a detection. So it's kind of nice to have, but don't plan on that saving your life. The one nice thing about credit monitoring is sometimes it includes some additional services to help you recover, insurance, and things like that. Also, you only need to get credit monitoring from one of the credit bureaus because that credit monitoring will monitor your uh, credit uh, ratings and credit data with all of the credit bureaus. The other one is the security freeze, and that's the one that you want to do and the credit bureaus probably don't want you to do. Security freeze, credit freeze says, no one can get my credit rating. You put a lock on it. And what that means is if anyone, including you, goes and applies for a new credit card, bank loan, car loan, whatever, and you're at the uh, bank trying to get your loan, the bank will first, hey, let's check your credit, go to the credit rating um, credit bureaus, see that your credit is frozen, your credit score is frozen, and tell you, sorry, we can't give you a loan because your credit score is locked, frozen. That means you would then have to manually unfreeze it. The value add here is, well, yeah, you can't get a loan or a new credit card, but that means the bad guys cannot do that either using your information. So it protects you against a great deal of fraud. Now, some people go, well, Lance, that's a pain. It means I have to manually unlock every time I get a new credit card or bank loan. Yep, but how often do you need to do that? So, for example, I froze my accounts three years ago when Brian Krebs' article came out recommending uh, security freezes. In that three years, I've never once had to unfreeze any of my credit accounts. The problem or challenge you have is, I mentioned earlier, economically, the credit bureaus don't want you to do a security freeze. Because if every citizen in the United States gets a security freeze, that's a lot less um, credit checks and a lot fewer credit cards being issued. Same things for loans. So from a financial perspective, they really don't want to see you put a freeze on. Sure. So question for you there. You said you only need a credit monitoring from one bureau. How about a freeze? If you have a freeze with one? Ah, uh, Great catch, Britta. You nailed it. Yes, you do need to manually do a freeze with each of the four credit bureaus, including Innovis. Okay. And what ends up happening is just like you said, for me when I did this a couple years ago, it was really easy. Just did it online. There was no problem. The challenge you have now is each of the four credit bureaus is absolutely crushed because you have literally millions of people trying to do it. So they're overwhelmed. You should be able to do it over the phone or over online, but they're basically denial of service right now. Yeah, no, exactly. That, that, that's my experience. So it said you've got to print this out. You've got to send it in with these additional documents. Yeah. And I printed out that page, and it's sitting on my desk. Um, so my you know, note to self, 
do that this do that today and include Innovis. Um, so a question for you. So one of one of the members of my household is a minor um, who doesn't necessarily have a credit record yet, doesn't have a bank account to be citing. Are there different steps that you would recommend be taken for minors? Um, is this something I should be doing? What would you recommend there? That's a great question. I've been getting a lot of those questions. So first of all, the definition of minor here is 13 to 18 years old. Once you're 18 and above, you're an adult. Um, if you're below 13, 12 and younger, uh, these organizations legally can't collect that type of data. If you're between the ages of 13 and 18, it starts getting confusing. A big part of it is, first of all, what state you're based in. There's different laws about how your information can be collected and used between the ages of 13 and 18 because there's no federal law. It's really driven by the state. So different states, different laws. Ultimately, what I would recommend is this. For your kids that are between 13 and 18, if you're concerned, you have to reach out and first of all, check with the credit bureaus if your kids even have a credit score, credit rating, or whatever. If they don't, you should be all right. If they do, you're probably going to want to put a freeze on it. But once again, you're going to have to manually check with each of them. And that's the frustrating part. The onus and the hard work is on us having to protect data that we did, probably didn't want collected in the first place. Exactly. And if a social security number was taken for said minor, um, even though I have an open credit, potentially someone else could be opening credit. So I probably need to take those steps. Absolutely. And the, the problem with uh, between the kids of 13 and 18 is if the bad guys use their information to commit fraud, quite often children and their parents don't find out until that child then becomes an adult, tries to get their very first credit card, and they're denied. Exactly. An interesting characterization that that's the problem. There's many problems with kids between 13 and 18, but we'll narrowly focus on just this for this conversation. Um, so, so how about seniors? Let's go to the other end of the spectrum. Um, we've, they tend to be a little more vulnerable in getting scammed. We've definitely seen some really focused campaigns. Would you do anything different for seniors? No. And so what ends up happening is I've had people go, Lance, you know, I, I have seen I have my parents, they're older in their 80s. They never use a credit card. That The use of a credit card, the, the existence of your credit card, the use of your credit card has absolutely no relation to what's going on right now. The concern is the bad guys using your identity, which has been stolen, to get a new card in your name pretend to be you, and then you end up getting the bills. So first of all, absolutely, we want that security freeze for adult seniors also. But you also alluded to another thing. What's going to end up happening now is we have a perfect breeding ground for bad guys to kick into social engineering attacks. Everybody's read about the Equifax hack. Everybody knows it applies to them, and very few people actually understand the details of it because it's very confusing. I mean, I live and breathe this stuff, and I get confused. And I, I can give you some examples here in a moment. But long story short, if Equifax calls you on the phone, that's not Equifax. If you know, you're going to get all sorts of potential emails out there, phishing emails, texting emails, things along those lines. If you have a question or concern with one of the credit bureaus, either go to their website and call the phone number on the website, or... Um, Go to the web, yeah. Always go to the website yourself. You know, just don't follow links or things along those lines. Long story short, I am probably going to see a lot of social engineering, phishing, phone call type attacks here in the coming weeks, months. 
Yep. And that's where I'm concerned about uh, elderly. You know, they, they can be easier targeted. Well, absolutely. And even, um, you know, the news of yesterday was there was an incorrect website that had been oh. in social media by Equifax itself pointing people. So and it's just it's something we've got to be super careful, super cautious. And, and Equifax has rem since removed the tweets, has since taken steps. But we've just got to be diligent here to making sure we're in the right place, doing the right thing with eyes wide open. Um, yeah, in the reference to the uh, website, th there's been a lot of issues on how Equifax handled this. Uh, one of the biggest concerns is why did it take them over a month to release this type of information? But the other one nobody understands is why they created a website called Equifax Security 2017. How could anybody trust that domain that they should have done is just done something under the domain of Equifax.com. And the URL you're talking about is another security researcher to demonstrate the insecurity of using a brand new domain is they created a website called Security Equifax 2017, kind of as a spoof. The folks at Equifax literally got confused and were pointing everybody to a website that they actually did not control. So yeah, that point you just raised uh, reflects on how Equifax could have definitely handled this better. And luckily that's a, a, a good guy, security researcher, making sure everything's okay, but... but yes. Yeah. Um, so, so you have cited a really smart guy in our industry, Brian Krebs. Good guidance. Three years ago, you took his guidance, you did all this. It feels like... Um, all of this guidance is good, and it's probably just good hygiene for how we behave all the time, not just in the face of a breach like this. So what is just good guidance for how we should think about, approach, how and where our credit information is available? If you could leave us with some parting words of you must, what would it be? That sounds good. And better or worse, Equifax is bringing, this situation is bringing up behaviors that we should all be doing regardless. So we've already brought up two, A, the credit monitoring, two, the uh, security freeze, three, I would recommend monitoring your own financial accounts. In other words, watching your bank and credit card accounts. And by watching, you're looking for bad guys making transactions in your name. And what I like to do is both my bank and credit card send me a report every morning. Hey, Lance, these are the charges made in the past 24 hours. Anything looks fishy. Key thing, if there's ever um, credit card or especially fraud on your bank, if you report it within 24 hours, it gets cleaned up no problem. Uh, with banks, after 72 hours, it can be challenging. Um, for social engineering attacks, we've already talked about those. And the, the other two things I just want to bring up real quick, though, is A, tax fraud. The bad guys, if they have your information like credit card number, name, birth, date, and things like that, they can commit tax fraud in your name, which basically means going to the IRS and submitting a tax refund and getting the tax refund in your name. Then you go to get your tax refund and the IRS says, oh, you already got it. And you're like, no, I didn't. So from a tax fraud perspective, one of the best ways to protect you is actually submit your uh, taxes as soon as possible. It's basically a race condition. You want to submit your tax information and get your refund before the bad guys do. And then the last one I'm going to share with you, and like I said, regardless of the Equifax or not, probably one of the best ways to protect anything online financially to include your retirement accounts, bank accounts, credit card, is for your account, enable two-step verification wherever possible. 
hands down one of the best, most effective ways to protect your online presence. Great. Wonderful, wonderful summary of key points. I've been taking lots of notes and I certainly have lots to do today to make sure everything's locked down and in good shape. Um, really appreciate your time, your willingness to share today, Lance. Um, and, you know, hopefully our, our community can be smarter and better informed with what we do. We're actually digging a little further into this topic of cyber safety on our October podcast as well. So invite our listeners to, to come back, contribute. Um, give us your thoughts through our social channels. We love to get your feedback, and it helps us tune where we focus and what we talk about. Um, so thank you so much for joining. Have a wonderful rest of the day.